The scripture passage we are looking at today comes from the prophet of Micah, looking at chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. Before we read this, let us pause for a moment in prayer. Gracious and heavenly Father, Lord God, who descended to become man and dwell among us, and Lord, who has given us your spirit to guide us and direct us, Father, who spoke these words to the apostles and the prophets, Father, that they might be written down and passed down and preserved to us, so we may read and hear and understand your will for us. But Lord, as we read this word today, Lord, we know we cannot understand these things unless the same spirit that inspired them would inspire us again. So Father, I pray that you breathe your spirit among us, that we may hear and read and understand your good and perfect will for our life. Father, bless this holy reading of your holy word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is the prophet Micah, chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. Listen now to the word of the Lord. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit every man under his vine, and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> there was a recent survey that was conducted by uh, the Fidelity Corporation. And if y'all are familiar, uh, Fidelity is a group that handles all sorts of investments. Um, I don't know how much, billions and billions of dollars worth of investments. Well, the Fidelity Group did a survey once, of, uh, just recently, of uh, people that are millennials or Gen Z. And if you're wondering what millennials or Gen Z are, we're talking about from late teenagers all the way into late 30s, maybe even early 40s, millennials and Gen Z. So they did a, a survey of this group about investing and found out that about half or more of this generation, these two generations, Gen Z and millennials, about half of them had no worry at all or concern and didn't want to have anything to do with investing for the future. Didn't care about it. No 401ks. Didn't want to invest for retirement. No, you know, putting away a nest egg for a rainy day. They said they, it didn't matter to them. They said it didn't matter. And in fact, they said there was no point at all. 
Now, if you're wondering how so many people could think that there is no point in investing for the future, or at least your retirement, they actually had some good reasons they were quoting. You've got to understand about these generations, about what's happened to them in the last 20 years. In the last 20 years, these generations have seen their earning power consistently go down year after year while prices continue to go up. And some of the things that we took, took, took for granted for buying one day, like a house, is some, has for a lot of them become completely out of reach financially for this group of young people. At the same time, in the last 20 years, they have seen our country grow increasingly divisive. And we've seen the different political parties fight and get each other's throat like we haven't seen in a long time. And if that wasn't bad enough, they're even been told through the press and through certain, uh, through certain scientific journals and publications that we're in the midst of a climate crisis and that we may have already passed the threshold, the point of no return. And we can expect in the near future our whole ecology and our whole environment to break down to the point where it can no longer sustain human life. If you look at it like this, What's there to look forward to? What's there to save for? I mean, we might not even be here, much less our 401ks. And don't get me, get me started about Social Security and what might be the state of that investment by the time our teenagers reach the age of retirement. I mean, if everything's going to fall apart tomorrow, then why work so hard for today? If the world is so uncertain and there is a good chance that this all might fall apart and collapse tomorrow, why am I going to invest in a future that might not even be there for me? And if you think it like that, think of it like that, you've got to admit, kind of have a point. If civil war, climate crisis, if economic crash, if this is our future, then why not enjoy the moment? Why not take your hard on money and just have the best time you can have right now and don't worry about what's coming to the future? It is this despair and this anxiety that has become the mark of these younger generations. And if you have kids that are in this age group, you've probably either noticed it in them or noticed it in their friends, an extremely and extraordinarily high level of anxiety that seems to be the key marker of this generation. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was in my teens and 20s, I think my anxiety level was like about zero. I mean, it was like way down here. I mean, okay, there might be times like when I had a test I didn't study for, or the rent was due and I forgot to save money, my anxiety might have like hovered here for a minute or two, but then I would figure something out and it would go back down to zero. But I don't remember people being so young, being so anxious. And, it, and it's gotten so bad, they're, they're, they're noting these levels of despair and anxiety and depression among these younger generations. They're even finding a greater rate of what they call the uh, deaths of despair among them as well. With high rates of death by, by drug abuse and even by suicide. I think it's fair to say that we might be in the midst of a crisis of hope in our nation. 
It is an outright crisis of hope. For if you don't have hope in tomorrow, it's really hard to believe in what we're doing today. So my question for you, the question I want you to consider today, is how do we inspire a generation that has lost hope? How do we do it? How do we inspire a generation and how do we give hope to a generation that is so full of anxiety or despair? Or maybe the first question is ask is, should we? I mean, do they have a very valid point all across the board? Do, do we just join with them and just join into the apathy of this apathetic age that we find ourselves in the midst of? For me, I think we do what the church has always done in this situation and every situation it has faced is we bring them good news. We bring the world good news and all the reasons we have, not only for hope, but the reasons for great joy in our life. You know, the church has been here a long time. The church has existed for a very long time. We're going off of 2,000 years now. Over 2,000 years, this church and believers in Jesus Christ have been on this earth. And for those 2,000 years, our people, I say our people, our believers in Christ, our people have experienced a lot. They've gone through so much turmoil and so much of upheaval. They, they, they've been, we've been here as an empire fell, the greatest empire in the world crumbled to ashes right where they witnessed it in their very lives. We've, we've been here through barbarian invasions. We've been here through plagues. We've been here through wars. We've seen conquerors come and go. We've seen nations rise and fall. We've seen upheaval. We've seen chaos. We've seen persecution. We've seen nations and people attack us and want to kill us and wipe the church from the face of this earth. But throughout it all, we've continued on. Throughout it all, the gospel has gone on. Throughout it all, the message of the good news has survived all of these things and more. And it is this message of the good news that has seen us through. There's one of my favorite sayings about the church is that the church is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. And we have. We have through the Spirit of Christ and the Holy Spirit in us. We have worn out many hammers. But what has always seen us through is our belief in the good news of Jesus Christ. And in this good news, there's a vision. There's a vision God has given us in this good news. It is a vision of a better world. A better world, a more perfect world, and it is this vision in part, this good news in whole that has sustained us in the past, and this still has the power to sustain us today. And this vision of life that God has given us, there is a hope and there is a faith that reminds us that life is not in vain. Life is not pointless, no matter how bad it seems to get, no matter how grim the future seems ahead of us. Or even how good it gets sometimes. God is still with us. God is still the Emmanuel. God is still working on the same plan that he's been working out from the beginning. It is a plan that has not failed yet. It is not going to fail today. And it's not going to fail in our future. And one of the visions that God has given us, one of the hopes is we, we found it in Micah today. 
This is one of the prophecies we read in Jesus during this Advent season. And in this, in this prophecy today, the, the Lord, through, his, through the Holy Spirit, has given to the prophets this vision of a wonderful future awaiting us. This is what it says in, in verse 1. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established at the highest of the mountains. It shall be lifted up above the hills and the peoples shall flow to it. So he's, he's starting to describe a world where the reign of God is complete. The kingdom of God has come to a completion where every other authority in this world, every religion and every political power has now been submitted and submitted itself to the power and the reign of Christ. And so all the peoples, instead of consulting whatever else they consult today to find direction in their life, now they go to the mountain of the house of the Lord. They go to his word. They go to his spirit to get their direction in life because the reign of Christ has come in its completeness. And so God's word and God's law now rules the world. And the results of this, the results of this reign of God are magnificent. That's what he says in verse 3. He says, he, he will judge the people and he will decide disputes for strong nations. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit, every man under his vine, and everyone under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. He describes this beautiful world because the reign of God has finally been established and come, and this world is just magnificent. I mean, there's no more warfare anymore. Nations don't fight. Peace has been established across the whole world. In fact, wars become so obsolete, the weapons of the war are pointless. That's why they take swords and they make plowshares out of them because swords are useless. They take spears and they make pruning hooks because spears are useless. And I don't know what we'll do with our tanks, make them into plows. I don't know, make our guns into toys that, I don't know, shoot marshmallows or something. But it's this world where, where, where war becomes absolute because the peace of God has reigned. In it. And then more than that, it says, it says, every man shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree which means everyone's going to have their own little piece of property. Everyone's going to have all the provision that they need. There's going to be no want in it anymore. And there's going to be nobody to make us afraid. It's going to be a wonderful world. It's a wonderful world that we get with this prophecy of Jesus Christ because all of this begins at the advent of Jesus. And it comes to completion the day that he returns to us. Now, I know I'm here standing in December 2023. We all are here standing with me. And it's kind of hard to imagine how this is ever going to happen. I mean, it's really hard to imagine that, that one day we could be living or we will be living in a world where there's no fear. We'll be living in a world where there's no violence. We'll be living in a world where there's no war, where the news reports don't come in of, of, of civilian casualties in war or even military casualties in war. We'll live in a world where there's no crime. We'll live in a world where there's no hurt, where there's no pain, where there's no grief, where there's no sickness, where a world you don't have to worry about your kids, about where they are at night, if they're going to make it home okay. It's a world you don't have to worry about your future, whether or not you're going to have enough. The world, we don't have to worry at all about what tomorrow may bring or not bring. And here it is. 
Here it is, a very unashamed prophecy and prediction of a world to come. We get it in Micah, but we also see it in Isaiah, and we also see it in Revelation, and in smaller places all throughout the Scripture, we have this prediction, this promise of this, of this beautiful new world. The only thing we can conclude is that, for some reason, God wants us to believe that this world not only can happen, but it one day will. God wants us to believe in a better world. He wants us to believe in a world that is not destroyed by sin anymore, but a world that has been perfected by the work of Jesus Christ. That means our God does not want to see us give into despair. He doesn't want to see us fall into apathy. Your God wants you to believe, and He wants you to hope. He wants you to know that life is not in vain. Life is not pointless. Now, whatever our immediate future may hold, or even our present may hold, life is good. That life is beautiful. That God is still working in us, He is still working in the world, and He is still working in the church. And when everything is done, it's going to be a new world that he gives to us. He wants you to believe in that. He wants you to hope in that with all of your heart. There's this wonderful passage out of, out of Jeremiah I want to I share with you. And this passage was, was told to Israel at probably the lowest, the lowest point the nation had ever faced. Like they had been a kingdom, an independent kingdom for hundreds of years and enjoyed the blessing and prosperity of the Lord. But because of their sin, they were about to get attacked by Babylon. And God told them, you're going to lose. You're going to face a war with Babylon. You're going to lose. They're going to sack the country. They're going to destroy Jerusalem. They're going to destroy the temple. And you and your children are going to be taken off into exile and slavery. So for 70 years... For 70 years, you're going to live in exile and slavery, and all of your work is going to be for somebody else, and your nation's going to be destroyed. Now, if you ask me, if there's any a good time to check out, that would be the time. I mean, if you were the Gen Z or millennials of that generation, if you're in your teens all the way into early 30s, and you knew that you were going to be living in exile and slavery for 70 years, that means you know pretty much that's the rest of your life. You're never going to see freedom again. You're never going to see prosperity again. You're never going to see your own home or your own children or your own fields or your own vines or your own fig tree. It's all going to belong to somebody else and all your work's going to be pointless. If there's any time you wanted to give up and say this is all worthless and pointless, I'm not putting a lot of effort into it, that would be the time. But when God speaks to Jeremiah, he actually tells the people to do the very opposite. I'm looking at Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah 29, verse 5. This is what he tells them to do before they're going and, and to be robbed into slavery and exile. This is what he tells the people. He says, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and to give you a hope. He says your life might be pretty miserable coming up, but I want you to go and build houses and plant gardens and get married and give your children in marriage and work hard and have kids and just live life. In fact, I want you to even go pray to the city that's taking you over into slavery. I want you to pray for them and pray for their welfare and pray for their good. I want you to keep working. I want you to keep believing because I have a future for you, says the Lord, a future for good and not for evil. If there ever is a message that's pertinent to us today, I think this one is. There's so many reasons if we read the news and kind of read the tea leaves of what's going on in the world out there, so much reason to be pessimistic and so much reason to despair and be apathetic. I mean, we look around and we see America becoming less Christian every year. You could even argue America's becoming, well, less American every year. So much is changing in our world, not all of it's for the better. The very real possibility that in the near future, we as believers in Christ could become exiles in our own country, could become minority shareholders in this nation that we built. So what do we do? What do we do? Do we go retreat into our homes? Retreat in some walled neighborhoods, maybe buy ourselves a nice piece of property, stack up on canned goods and get a generator to wait out the apocalypse? Do we watch it all burn around us? And in the ashes of the world we can point and say, I told you so. I told you this was going to happen. Or do we do what we've always done? We go build houses. We go plant fields. We get married and we give each other in marriage. We work. We pray for our country. We pray for our community. We pray for our people. And we don't give up. Because God's work is not finished yet. He has given you a future. And He's given you a hope. And we keep preaching the good news. We keep preaching the good news of great joy and we keep living the good news of great joy and we believe and we hope in God and all the work that he has done and is yet to do in us. He gave us this promise. He gave us this vision and when Jesus came, he doubled down on it saying that he was going to return to us again one day so that we would not lose heart, so that we would not lose our joy and our hope in life. So you would know that life is not in vain, that life is never pointless, it's never worthless, it's never stupid. It's good. It's glorious. He has a wonderful future ahead. He gives us these things so that we believe that life is not in vain, that your labor is not in vain, your hope is not in vain, your love is never in vain. And that even the smallest act of kindness that you can do for another person, even if nobody else sees it and if it's forgotten as soon as it's done, even that is not in vain because every act of compassion is a testimony to the coming kingdom of God. 
Every act of faith is a light against the darkness of the world. Every act of kindness is a defiance against everything that is unjust and cruel in our world. Every act of hope is a stand against apathy and despair. And all of it matters. Every single bit of it matters because it's all part of a work that belongs to a God that never dies. Now, I can't tell you what the future is going to be like, at least not the immediate future. Nobody knows what tomorrow is going to hold. I mean, we may be on the edge of a great American renaissance. We may be. We may be about to enter the greatest time of peace, prosperity, and production this world has ever seen. We might be on the edge of collapse. We may be about to face an ecological disaster that destroys human civilization as we know it. We may be one election away from ushering in a dictatorship into America. We may be one election away from breaking apart and fracturing into civil war. We may wake up tomorrow and find ourselves in the midst of the zombie apocalypse. I don't know what's going to happen. What I do know is that our work continues. What I do know is that the church will go on. What I do know is that it is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. We've worn out every single one that has beat us in the past, and we're going to wear out every single one in the future, and we're going to wear out this one that's beating us today. The work of God will go on. The people of God will go on. We're going to build houses. We're going to plant fields. We're going to get married. We're going to continue to fight for our freedom. We're going to continue to fight for our way of life. We're going to continue to love our country and to love our state and to love our community despite all of its flaws and all of its warts and how ugly it can be sometimes. We're going to continue to pray for our cities. We're going to keep praying for our nation. And we're going to keep praying for our leader. I don't care who's up there. I don't care how much you hate him or love him. He's our leader now, and we're going to pray for him. And we're going to keep preaching the good news of Jesus Christ that has been entrusted to us as a light in the midst of darkness. We're going to keep on in faith because we know God is not finished yet. Life is not in vain. And our work is not in vain. We're going to continue on until the last sword is beat into a plowshare. We're going to continue on until the last spear has been made into a pruning hook. We're going to continue on until the, every nation on this earth has given up the art of war. We're going to continue on until every person sits beneath his own tree and underneath his own vine. Until the day comes when no one else will ever make us afraid again. Others may walk in the name of their God. But we walk in the name of the Lord our God. And He is the God of good news. And He is the God of great joy that will never let us down. To Him be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.